Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus speaks with Nicodemus. It says, beginning in verse 1, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So this was the conversation that the Lord Jesus had with Nicodemus that we have recorded here in chapter 3. I'm sure that they had a lot more to say to each other than just this, but this is what was recorded by John in order to testify about what happened and to give us an opportunity to consider the significance of what happened here. Now, to begin with, I'd like to talk about the subject of baptism and the subject of being born of the water. And the reason why I would like to start with it is not because that is what is clearly recorded here. I believe that is what people believe is recorded here. And that tends to be the bias that a lot of people have, that when it comes to being born again, when it comes to the subject of baptism and water, this is one of the passages that people will often refer to. For example, in John chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. People will quote this and they will say, you see, here's an example of water baptism. I personally do not see that here at all, but I need to talk about it because it is a very popular view of this passage. And then I'll come back and explain to you what I personally read here. When it comes to water baptism, it did not begin with John the Baptist, as many people would like to believe. It really began with the Pharisees, and this is important because Nicodemus was identified as a Pharisee. It began with the Pharisees as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism. The history of it begins with the Maccabean Wars, 
The Maccabean Wars were fought and the Jews won the wars. They established embassies in the surrounding countries in order to assert their national sovereignty. And when they did this, there were people in the surrounding nations who discovered who they were. They discovered the God who they believed in. They heard the testimony concerning how God intervened in their lives and helped them to win their freedom and to win their liberty from Antiochus IV. And they also heard about the testimony of Antiochus IV that he gave just before he died, where he recognized the God of the Jews, the one who he was fighting against. So there was testimony concerning the God of Israel, and people wanted to convert to this God. They wanted to become a part of the belief in this God that the Jews were letting people know about when they sent out ambassadors and established embassies in the surrounding countries, which of course became the synagogues, the synagogues in the Gentile world. When people wanted to convert, there needed to be a way to convert a person, and so the Pharisees established the doctrine of baptism. They extrapolated this from the laws with regards to ritual cleansing that a person would be expected to go through as part of their obedience to the commandments of Moses. A person would need to subject themselves to the commandments that were given through Moses. They would need to dedicate their lives to living in obedience to the Mosaic law. They would need to be circumcised, if applicable, of course, and they would need to be baptized as part of the initiation or the initial act of going through the ritual cleansings that were required by law because everyone was considered to be ritually unclean. This would be done in a supervised way so that there would be a witness, there would be someone who could testify on behalf of the convert that this ritual did take place. That was the purpose for there being a witness or someone who would participate in the act of ritual baptism, the water baptism that people were accustomed to. This was done in order to convert a Gentile to Judaism. Now, I give the historical references for this, and I give a lot more information and content on this topic in the series that I produced on baptism. I'm not going to try to duplicate that here, because that is a very long series of programs where I address that subject. I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs. They are available for free on the Internet through the Radio Archive, Or you can contact Living God Ministries, and I'm sure something could be worked out so that you could get the audio CDs. But what I wanted you to understand with regards to this topic and this program is that water baptism has that kind of a history. That's where it comes from, and that is definitely not what the Lord Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about being born of water in the sense that you are going to be baptized, because that was the mechanism that a person went through in order to convert to Judaism. That was the purpose for that baptism. Now, John the Baptist testified of this. He mentioned that the baptism that he was doing, which was the same baptism that I just described, the means of converting a Gentile to Judaism, he testified that this is not the baptism that is going to save a person with regards to salvation, with regards to identification with the Messiah, what the Messiah would come to do, that he would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit not with the water that John was referring to. This is found in John, the Gospel of John, just two chapters earlier, chapter 1, verse 33, where John said, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending 
and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John said that the baptism that he was sent to do, this water baptism, was a baptism that would enable John to be able to identify the Messiah, that the living God would provide him with some evidence. He would see that the Spirit would descend upon this individual. That would be God speaking to John the Baptist. And John would see this, and he would recognize this, and then he would be a witness to this truth, and he would be the one to testify that this person, this person of whom the Holy Spirit would descend upon, would be the Messiah. And so when Jesus was baptized by John in water, that was the opportunity for John to be the first witness of the Messiah and to publicly proclaim to everyone who was there and everyone who he would see afterwards that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. So that baptism had to do with conversion to Judaism, which of course was very unusual because the people who he was baptizing were Jews. And so it was not an official conversion to Judaism. In this case, what that represented was a recommitment or a rededication. That's how the Pharisees would have understood it. That's how the people would have understood it at that time. The people were rededicating their lives to the Mosaic law. And so when the Lord Jesus was baptized by John, the people would have considered that to be a form of rededication, and they would have no concern with regards to what Jesus' life was like before that moment. There would be no need to have any conversations about, was Jesus a good person before this moment when John testified that he was the Messiah? None of the religious authorities would consider that to be a topic or an issue or anything to raise out of concern because of the baptism that Jesus engaged in at this time. It would have been considered to be the initial point when he could be evaluated. And so again, I talk about all of this in the series I produced on baptism. I just wanted to review that because it is relevant to this passage in John chapter 3 because people are often assuming that this has to do with the water baptism that John presented, but it doesn't. This has to do with something else. Jesus explained this in verse 6. In John chapter 3, verse 6, he said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's talking about natural birth. He's not talking about water baptism, the ritual procedure that people want to embrace, which is fine. If a person wants to be baptized in water, I don't have an issue with that. I would not raise a concern with regards to that. It's what people believe about it that is the issue at hand. In this case, Jesus is talking about natural birth, that you are born of water, that you are born when you are born from your mother's womb. That's what he means when he speaks about being born of the flesh. But not even that is going to save a person. That is what a person has to go through so that they can become a person, so that they are a functional, living person in this society, in this world. That's what he's referring to, but that you must be born again. And so even if this was water baptism, which I definitely do not believe that that's what he was referring to, he says that you have to be born again in addition to that. You have to be born by the Spirit. This is what he tells Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus could have responded in verse 4 in the context of water baptism. He could have said, 
Well, okay, I'll go and I'll talk with John and we'll take care of that. But that isn't what he said. Again, in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus understands that this has to do with natural birth. And so why is it that it's so popular for people to believe that this is not about natural birth? I'm going to take the position from verse 4 that this is what Nicodemus perceived, this is what he understood, and that there was great meaning behind that in addition to the phrase being born again. Jesus used the phrase that you must be born again and that you must be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus responded by asking, how is it that a man can be born when he is old? This means something, believe it or not, because there were many ways that the Pharisees taught a person could be born again, or born anew, or born from above, depending upon the rendition or translation that people present with regards to this. But the fundamental principle of being born again was not new to Nicodemus. It was not new to Pharisaical Judaism. This idea of being born again was a very well-known and well-taught concept presented in Pharisaical Judaism. There were many ways that a person could be born again until they got really old. Then there were not so many ways that you could be born again. There were six specific ways that a person could be born again. And so when Jesus says that you must be born again, and Nicodemus responds with, how can you be born again when you are old? That has to do with the fact that there were many ways that Nicodemus could have already been born again, and he was born again through many different ways. The six ways that you could be born again, according to Pharisaical Judaism, are number one, If you are a Gentile and you become a Jew, then you are born again. Through water baptism, circumcision, dedication to the law, you would be born again as a Jew. That was a way that you could be born again, and water baptism was considered to be a part of that. But this was a decision that a person would make after they were born of their mother's womb, out of the water from the mother, They would be born in life, and then they would later make a decision that they wanted to become a Jew. When a Gentile became a Jew, they were recognized as a person who was born again, born anew, born from above, born of God. They were born, they were made into a new person. In effect, a type of new creation in that sense, although the idea of a new creation was not very well expressed. But this was a way that a person could be born again. Nicodemus did not qualify for this kind of born-again experience because he was already born as a Jew. He could have gone through the ritual baptism, but that would not be recognized in the same way by the Pharisees, and so it's unlikely that Jesus would be trying to communicate that. Another way that a person could be born again is if they are coronated as the king of Israel. If they are recognized as the king of Israel, then they would be considered to be born again or born anew, born from above, born of God. 
This was another way that a person could be born again. We don't have any indication that Nicodemus was considered to be next in line for the throne of Israel. I personally do not see that at all. So it is unlikely that Nicodemus would have qualified to be born again in this way as well. But there were other ways that Nicodemus would have experienced being born again. In Pharisaical Judaism, a person would be born again when they were a boy and they became a man. This could be between 10, sometimes 12 or 13 years of age. It would be a decision of the parents and the congregation that the son or the boy would become a man at a certain age. And this decision would be made when the boy is ready to assume responsibility for his own sins. And he would also assume responsibility for his own way of life, that he would be able to take care of himself. Quite likely he would have a job. He would be doing work. He would be productive. He would be ready to be married, perhaps, or be very close to being ready to be married. And so it was a decision somewhere between 10 and 12 or 13 years old, normally 12 or 13. But sometimes people would grow up or they would be considered to be grown up a little bit sooner than others. And so the decision was mainly based on the parents and the congregation. It wasn't so much about age, but that would be a moment when a person would be born again. And Nicodemus experienced that. He was born again when he was born by being an adult, by becoming an adult and by becoming a person who would be responsible for his own sins. So when Nicodemus said in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? What he is suggesting is that he's not going to be able to go back and be born again to be a boy to a man. He's not going to be able to experience that because he's old. He's not going to, The only way he could do that is if he's born again out of his mother's womb. That's why he says what he says in verse 4 in response, because that's the only way that he could be born again in that way. So how can he be born again? This doesn't make any sense to him when he thinks about it from the perspective of Pharisaical Judaism. And Jesus is using this phrase, he's using this vocabulary in order to reach out to Nicodemus and tell him, look, there is something more than what you have and that you must be born again. And so Jesus is suggesting to Nicodemus that there is a way to be born again that Nicodemus doesn't know about. That's what he needs to understand. That's what he needs to recognize. So Nicodemus knew of many ways. He just didn't know about what Jesus was going to tell him, that this is the way you have to be born again in this way. That has to do with the restoration of the Spirit. Jesus came to restore the Holy Spirit, and in that way, by being made alive through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we are born again. We are born from above. We are born anew. We are made alive. We go through a transition such that we once were in one state, and then we go to another state. In this case, it's the state of being dead to the state of being alive. That's what it means to be born again by the Spirit. You see, the gospel has to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was lost in Adam. 
When God created Adam and Eve, he created them and breathed within them the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. And they became alive. They became living beings because they had life in them. It was the life of God. You know, when a person dies, you don't check them to determine whether or not the presence of death is there. You check them to determine if the presence of life is there. Is there any sign of life? And if there is no life, then they are dead. When God gave the life, when he gave the Holy Spirit to Adam and Eve, they were living beings, and then he gave them the law, and the law was that in the day that they eat from the wrong tree, in that day they will surely die, and they ate from the wrong tree, and they died, but the death that they experienced was a spiritual death. They lost the spirit of life. The life of God withdrew from within them, and they became dead to God. So if they are going to be saved from this condition of being spiritually dead, they're going to have to have the spirit of life restored to them. This was the gospel. There, of course, was quite a transition between Adam and Eve and the Lord Jesus. That had to do with addressing the issue of, do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil? Is there any way for us to be right with God by our own efforts, by what we do or by what we do not do? The Lord took a long time in order to address these issues, and then he came, manifested in the flesh, dwelt among us as the living God, the Messiah, and through what the Messiah accomplished, first he died for the sins of the world, and then he restored the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam, and that is salvation. That's what a person needs to receive. That's why Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It is a decision of God in response to our surrender to him that he gives us his Holy Spirit, and that is a decision that he ultimately controls, and you must be born again in this way. If you are not born again in this way, you will in no way see the kingdom of heaven. You will in no way enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again through the restoration of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. I talk about this in many of the other programs that have been produced. You can listen to these programs through the radio archive on the Internet, livinggodministries.net. I talk about this in the program I did on the gospel, the programs I did on forgiveness. I present this in a number of places. Do take the time to listen to those programs to get a better understanding of what it means to be saved, what it means to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've produced programs explicitly for those purposes. And so that's what the Lord Jesus was talking about when he was speaking with Nicodemus. Now, there are three additional ways that a person can be born again. I explained that a person is born again when they are a Gentile and they become a Jew. A person is born again when they are a Jew and they are coronated as the king of Israel. And they are also born again when they become of age. When a boy becomes a man, he is recognized as a person who has been born again. Now, there were three additional ways that a person could be born again. When the Lord Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and used this phrase, this phrase did have distinctive meaning to him. He was born again, Nicodemus was born again, when he was married. If a man became married, 
According to Pharisaical Judaism, they consider that to be a moment when a person is born again, born from above, born anew. This was a way that a person could be born again, according to Pharisaical Judaism, when they were married. In addition to that, when a man became a rabbi, normally after the age of 30, if a man became a rabbi, then Pharisaical Judaism taught that he could be born again. He would be born anew, born from above, when he became a teacher, when he became a rabbi. In addition to that, when a rabbi becomes the head of a rabbinical school, normally after the age of 50, at that time, he would also be recognized as a person who was born again. Now, Nicodemus went through these. He was a boy who became a man, He definitely became married, and I'll explain this in the next program, and he became a rabbi, and he became the head of a rabbinical school. I'll explain this in the next program. But these were the four ways that Nicodemus had already been born again. And so he understood this phrase, but when Jesus used it, Nicodemus could only respond with, well, then how else can I be born again? I've been born again, again, and again. There are no other ways for me to be born again. Should I start in my mother's womb and start over from there? And I'll explain this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.